Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right. If you guys would, go ahead and take your seats. We'll get started. Those of you way back in the back, if you would, go ahead and take your seats. We'll get started. This morning we're going to be in the book of Malachi. And as I said last week, just so you guys know... There's, uh, we're working on our speakers. There's been some, uh, some humming, some buzzing that takes place, and so just be patient as we work through figuring out what that is, but uh, just want to give you guys a heads up on that. So we're going to be in the book of Malachi this morning. If you want to turn there, if, if you're not super familiar with your Bible and you're using one of the har- uh, Bibles around the room, then uh, it, it is right before you get to the New Testament. So it is the last book in the Old Testament right before you get to the Gospel of Matthew. So... If you're visiting with us, this is a great time to jump in because this is the first sermon that we're doing in the book of Malachi. And so this series that we're in right now is titled Empty Religion, and we'll get to why, uh, why it's titled that in just a few moments. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's this series that we're going to look at exactly what empty religion is and why we've titled the book of Malachi that. So just I'll say this. I don't want to, uh, to lose all of you or lull you back into a sleep this morning with the intro to Malachi, but it's also important that, that, that we have an understanding and a framework of the book of Malachi as we spend the next uh, four weeks after this week in it. So I also want to, to give you this information because I want uh, to allow you guys to have some time to read ahead, is that next week we will be finishing chapter 1. So that'll be verse 6 through the end of the chapter. That's verse 14. And so if you want to read that so you can start... Uh, meditating on that, reflecting on that, that's where we'll be next week. But this week we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So I'll read that, I'll give us some framework to Malachi, and then we will dive in to today's sermon. So, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a time that we can gather. I praise you that that you've given us the gift of your word, where you have spoken, where you reveal yourself. Father, I thank you that your word is timely, that it's authoritative. We praise you, though this book was written thousands of years ago, it still speaks to us today, and so that's what we're asking that you do, that you speak. But we first ask and pray that you would remove distractions. In the midst of busyness and chaos in our lives, we pray you would slow down and give us ears to hear. 
Father, where our hearts are hardened, we pray that you would soften our hearts. Where there's unbelief, we pray you would replace it with faith and great belief. We pray that we'd walk out of here with a greater understanding of who you are, of what you've done, your grace and the gospel of your grace. Exalt Jesus this morning. Make him the hero. Father, in, in, in my weakness, I pray that Jesus is exalted. Fill us, fill this place with your spirit. Speak to us, meet with us, encourage us, strengthen us. Reveal yourself here to those that are investigating who you are, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Malachi is this small book with four chapters, but it packs a big punch. And so it was written thousands of years ago, but as even said during the prayer, it's very timely for us today. And, and, and it's very easy for us to read a book like Malachi just passively. And I would encourage you with what the word is encouraging to, to read this interactively. And, and the reason that we know it's encouraging this is the book has 23 questions in it. And so it's written in this dial dialectic structure. So there's this dialogue that's taking place throughout the book, as we just read there in the first part of chapter 1. And so what's, what's being invited is to uh, ask questions, to self-reflect. We see this in the Psalms as well, as David prays, if there's any way in me that is grieving you, reveal that to me. And so we have this book where there's these questions being asked, and this is not new. This is something that uh, was common for Jewish literature. This is something that was common for uh, Socrates, but this is also something that Jesus did in his ministry. Why? Because asking questions reveals something that's in us. It's easy for me just to tell you something. Oftentimes there's a deeper meaning when questions are asked and we reveal, our, our answers reveal what's going on inside of us. And so we have this book that's thousands of years old, but it's still timely, though we might not have uh, priests in the function that, 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 they, that they have priests here because Christ fulfilled that role in that position and we might not have temples in the same way. We'd still struggle with the same things that the people, the Israelites, are struggling with here. And so I would say read this interactively and we want to contextualize it for what's going on in the 21st century today, but it is a very timely book and it could be very easy for us just to read over it, glance over it, see all that's wrong with the Israelites and not pay attention to how we are just like the Israelites. And so the author of this, I believe, many scholars believe, is actually a man named Malachi. John Calvin did not hold this position. He actually believed that it was a scribe, Ezra, who probably wrote this book. But many other scholars believe that it was a man named Malachi. We're not drawn in a ton to the author. Why? Because Malachi itself means my messenger. So what we're drawn in is to the message that's being conveyed and delivered by God more than the messenger. There are plenty of books of the Bible written by authors where we can study and learn a lot about the authors. This is not one of them. We're being drawn into focus on the message, not the messenger. So that's Malachi. What else do we know about the book? Is that it's a post-exilic book, meaning this, that it was written after the exile with two other books that go along with it that were post-exilic books as well. What does that mean? It means that Israel is now back from being held uh, captivity by Babylon in exile in their country, and now they're back in their own homeland. Just a quick recap of Israel's history is prior to all of this, they, they, they had this golden age where King David ruled and reigned, and, and, and it was this beautiful time where they were uh, one collected people, where they were a unified nation, where they were powerful, where they were wealthy. And then Solomon, in a sense, carried that, that on, but wickedness started to come in, and then Solomon's son actually came in, and then so came in divide, and so came in corruption, and then they were divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. And these kingdoms were overtaken by Assyria and by Babylon. And then what happened is they were held in slavery by these other nations. 
And for 70 years, they were held captive, and then they were released. When they, when they were released, they went back with this excitement that we get to go back to our homeland. We get to actually take some time. We get to rebuild the temple. We get to focus on these things. We, we, we get to do these things. We get to be back home. So there was a level of excitement. We even uh, can see, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, the building that was taking place, but even some of the frustrations that started to take place there. I believe that Malachi, and so do many others, was a contemporary of Nehemiah because he's addressing a lot of the same things. He's, address, he's addressing priests. He's addressing tithing. He's addressing intermarriage and stuff like that that's going on. But it's written this post-exilic time. Why is that important? Because what we will see when we read this book is Israel is frustrated. They are extremely frustrated. They are disappointed. They're disappointed with where they're at. They're disappointed with God. We even see that in, this, in, in these first few verses. Why? Because they thought it was going to look like this. And that being back home was going to be the everything. And, and, and this, was, this is what it was going to be like. And now they have found themselves asked this question, is, is this it? Isn't there more? And many of us could say that we ask those same questions. Even as Christians, we say, is this it? Isn't there more? And so we see, a, a, as we look at the Israelites, that we too are very much like them. And we can see ourselves in them. But what we also see, and why we've titled this Empty Religion, is this. Is you can listen, please listen. You can go to church every Sunday. You can go to gospel communities. You can do a, and perform all the uh, uh, spiritual formalities, and you can be dead inside. Read the Gospels. Jesus calls people in, in, in uh, whitewashed tombs. What is he saying? That you look pretty on the outside, but you are rotten to the core on the inside. So you can, you can play the part. You can go through all the motions. You can check all the boxes, but you can be dead, and that's empty religion. Any, any project that is a self-salvation project is going to be empty religion. Here's what I mean. Anytime you remove Jesus, and now your way to uh, merit favor with God or to gain acceptance from God is through your own works or your spiritual formalities. That is empty religion. But the other thing that, that, that you can bypass Jesus is, to, is a self-salvation project of I'm going to find satisfaction through something this world has to offer because Jesus can't provide it. That is also empty religion. So we're going to look at that and explore that as we dive into this book. But just let me throw this out and offer this, that it is fully possible to go through all the motions which should alarm us, which should perk up our ears to listen. We can go through all the motions of looking the part, but be completely dead on the inside. And as a transition in today, what, what I want us to take away is this, as the main point, that grace is not fair. The message of today is grace is not fair. What Israel was struggling, struggling with is what many of us struggle with today. Those are favorite words for people. This is not fair. What I'm going through, this is not fair. Our, our, our society loves that statement. And I would say today that grace is not fair. The, the, the very essence of the whole redemptive narrative and the whole redemptive story is that this book preaches a message that is not fair according to culture standards. It's, it's completely not fair. We love trophies. In fact, you get trophies for 10th, 11th, and 12th place now. Why? Because it's not fair. You get participation trophies, so we've, we, we, we've taught, uh, we're teaching kids uh, uh, not what it is to lose, but to, that you always win. I won't, I won't go on too much of a tangent about that, but I could. But I'll just say that a lot of that stems from that we say, this is not fair. Like everyone's a winner. Just to let you guys know, not in our household. <laughs> we race up the stairs the night I win. And I do like a rocky thing from the top of the stairs. 
we're teaching our kids grace is for uh, sore losers and for sore winners. So, But we want our kids to, to, to learn and understand that this is part of life, that not everything is fair, but ultimately that the gospel and God's grace is not fair. Just recently I visited uh, Reno with, uh, with my family, and, and we went into my close friend's martial arts gym there. And, uh, and I was like, they're branding, everything's just beautiful. But they have their black belts, and they just had this black belt test. And, and, and so I asked them, I said, hey, those are really cool. What, what does that uh, wording mean? Like, like, everything's cool, I just don't know what that says in Korean. And he was like, this is what it says. It says, everything earned, nothing given. I was like, huh, it's the most anti-gospel <laughs> message ever. <laughs> but you know what? That's what we actually believe. And we go, this is what's fair, is that we earn stuff, nothing is given. So when we approach the gospel, we go, that doesn't make sense. And as we dive into to this section of Malachi, we'll see that grace is not fair. But that's always been the way that God has worked in choosing Israel, in choosing Jacob, that it's not been a fair message. It's, it's, it's completely unfair. Let's look at verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This will be short and brief. This is how this literally reads in Hebrew. An oracle, the word of Yahweh to Israel by the hand of Malachi. Again, this is God speaking through Malachi. This is God's word he's communicating through his messenger Malachi. An oracle actually is this Hebrew word Massah, which means burden or load. So it would actually read the burden or load of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So that, 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 that word burden or load should, again, that's something that should per perk up our ears, but it's something that should raise your heart rate. So when he starts off the beginning of this book and he goes, the burden or the load, that's kind of like someone saying, step into my office, or the principal saying, step into my office. Even if it's not all bad, it's enough to make you go, uh-oh, what's going on? So that's how this book starts off. And so one might think that with a starting like that, if there's going to be this burden or this load, it kind of seems like there's going to be some form of judgment that's coming. And so verse 2 comes as a big shock, a big surprise. It says this, look, you might think something else is coming, but look what God builds the foundation of the book of Malachi on. I have loved you, says the Lord. That's what he says. The start of a book, the foundation of a book, Christian Christianity is built as this temple that's built on this cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We are like living stones being built up. When you lay a house, you lay a foundation is built upon the foundation. When we approach Malachi, we look at the foundation that is laid, and what is laid is this. I have loved you. Some translations read this. I like it better. I have always loved you, says the Lord. I have always loved you. The word for love here is this covenantal love that God has for his chosen people. It's not a love that we have confused with our emotions. It's not a love that we've confused with our society. When God speaks of a covenantal love, what he speaks of is this, is that I have covenanted with you. I've made a promise with you. That means this, that my love is not contingent upon my emotions. It's not contingent upon feelings. It is contingent upon a promise that I have made with you that I will not break. Why is this so weird for us? Because our problem is, is that when we think of love, we think of our fickle love that we have for the Father or for others, a very conditional love. Or we picture love that was shown to us in the households that we were raised in to where if you do things and perform really well, then you will have the love of your parents or you will have the love of someone. So then when we see that God's word says, I have always loved you, 
says the Lord, and that's the foundation it starts with, that we have a hard time grasping our minds and our hearts around a covenantal love that God makes with us. And here's the reality. You will always be a shaky, shaky Christian on shaky, shaky ground if the basis of your faith is your love for God and not God's love for you. You will always be shaky and on shaky ground if the basis of your Christianity is on your love for God, not, not God's love for you. Look at where he starts off. I have always loved you. That's the promise. That's the reminder that he starts with. What is the foundation that you're standing on this morning as a, as, as a Christian? Is it, is it in your love for God or is it in God's love for you? It starts off beautiful. Verse 2, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But here's where it goes really weird and interesting and a bit awry. Imagine I say to my wife, Allie, Allie, I love you. I re- I've always loved you. And she, and, and she responds back like this. How have you loved us? Or how have you loved me? That's what's going on here. God says, I've, I've, I've loved you. But you say, how have you loved us? It's a very dark way that Israel responds back to God's love and to this statement. Some people wonder, is this a, is, is this a true dialogue that has taken place? Is this something that Israel said? Or is this God knowing what's in the people's hearts? And I would say it, it, it seems to be clear that this is God knowing what's inside of his children's hearts. It's not a literal question, but it's him knowing this is the question that they have for him, and so he's addressing that anyways. How have you loved us? They ask. Do you know what's crazy is how God addresses and answers this question? Look at how he addresses it. He takes them on a journey into their history and says, Is not Esau Jacob's brother? declares the Lord. That's weird. I have loved you, always loved you. The response to the people is, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. There, listen before I move on. There's many people in here that are probably asking that same question because the way that your life has, has, has ended up or the circumstances that you are in and, and, and you are saying, God, how, how have you loved me? Have you not seen my depression? Have you not seen my anxiety? Have you not seen my, str- my stress? Have you not seen my marriage, my relationship? Have you not seen what's going on? Have you not seen our struggle to have children? Have you not seen everything that's going on in my life? How? How, God? How have you loved us? It doesn't seem fair that the wicked, and this is what the Israelites are struggling with, that, that the wicked are prospering. How? And so before we throw stones at Israel, we can say that many of us have probably wrestled with that same thing. They were interpreting God's love in light of their circumstances instead of interpreting their circumstances in light of God's love. And so now God takes them to the past. But what he's taking them to, listen, he's taking them to something that is totally unfair. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. What does he do? If, if you are investigating Christianity, you are new to your Bible, what God does is he takes them to like the most, one of the most unfair stories in the redemptive narrative, right? Is he takes them back to the story of this uh, man named Jacob, and, 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 and he goes, is not Esau Jacob's brother? In other words, Esau is Jacob's brother, 
It's his kin. It's his family. It's his twin brother. But he goes on to say, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. We'll get to that hated piece in a moment. God takes him to what is unfair. What do I mean by that? Is he takes them on this, uh, this historical past to Jacob and Esau to remind them that it has never been about their actions. It has never been about their works. It has never been about what they've done. It has always been about God's choosing, his electing. So he takes them to a very unfair story that one man was chosen not to. That's good. A lot of this is going to be hard to wrestle with this morning. I'll just say this. But he's taking them back to this lesson where God chose Jacob, but he rejected Esau. So we, we, now we ask this question. Well, did he choose Jacob because Jacob was awesome? Nope. Jacob, Jacob's name meant deceiver or heel grabber. He was a deceitful man. In fact, he deceived his father in his most vulnerable moment of his life by tricking him. He, he, he deceived, or, or he wouldn't even offer his brother food in, in a moment when his brother was really hungry. He's not an awesome guy. He was a mama's boy who was a schemer. Nothing against mama's boy. I'm a mama's boy. Mama's here right now. <laughs> well, then you ask, well, what about Esau? Esau's like the type of kid where you don't take him down the candy aisle or the store aisle because he throws tantrums. He's impulsive, he's emotional, he's reactive. So neither were awesome, neither were deserving of God's grace. Neither had done anything to where we look at their lives and go, that is an awesome man. I would see why God would choose him. We look at both of them and go, wow, they are broken. And so what actually is fair is that neither one of them deserves to be God's child and to receive God's love. But for whatever reason, a reason unknown to us, God says, I've chosen Jacob. And for whatever reason unknown to the Israelites, God is reminding them, I've also chosen you. We see this verse in Deuteronomy. I think we have a slide for it. <clears throat> Listen, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God tells the Israelites, it, it's, it's, it's not because you have done anything. It's because of my grace, my electing, my choosing. And he takes them back to the story and says, look, you can look at both men, super broken, super flawed, super messed up, but I chose Jacob. Why? Because of my mercy, because of my grace, because I wanted him. You say, well, maybe it's because Jacob lived a good life. No, Paul actually makes this clear for us in Romans. Paul is expounding on this passage, and he says, listen to this. We, we know this from Genesis. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Do you know why this is so scandalous? Because it breaks the laws of primogeniture, which means this, that back then, in this society, the older gets everything. And God says, I don't operate on societal terms. I operate on a system of grace. And so Jacob, the younger, he will be the heir. He will receive the blessing. He will be my child, my son, in whom my blessing and my covenant will go forward with. 
we can look at the story and say, well, it's unfair for Esau. We should say it's actually unfair that God, who's holy and just, would choose either of them. Some might be unsettled with, with this verse. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I'm, I'm really not that unsettled with it, and here's the reason why. Is because I don't believe any of us loves equally. So let me say that again. I don't believe anyone in this room actually loves equally. I believe that, that I love my wife much differently than I love your spouse, and I think that should be that way. <laughs> the awkward laughs would mean an amen, I think, but... I also love your children, but I don't love your children in the same way that I love my own children. There's a difference. There's a difference in the way that I look at my kids and I admire my kids and I love my kids and I cherish my kids. And, and yes, where God, as Romans 5, 8 tells us, would love the whole world, as John three sixteen tells us that, there is a different, special, divine love that he loves his children with. And it is different and it is infinite without measure. And that's the kind of love that he's saying that he's had for Jacob. Why? For no reason at all. Just because he wanted to. Just because he has mercy on whom he has mercy. Is it human will or exertion? Paul says, no, it's none of that. In fact, before they're even born, this doctrine and, and looking at this stuff can make people really uncomfortable. Do you know what seeing that before they're even born, God choosing them does for me? I feel like a mess. And I feel like I'm never where God wants me to be in my life, in my growth. I feel like I'm constantly failing. I feel in my life, this is the honest, true story, I feel like I'm never measuring up. But do you know the good news? Is that before God created the foundations of the earth, God chose me. In, in, or, in, in other words, he signed up for me before I could do anything good or bad and said, I want that man to be a part of my family. Sean Piper. God didn't sign up for us based upon how we'd see our life working out. He signed up for us knowing the mess that he was going to get. That's grace. And he's trying to take Israel back there because they're saying, this is not fair. The situation that we are in, this is not fair. He goes on to say this. If he, uh, verse 4. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they, uh, they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond Israel. This is the foundation for empty religion. Is what the Edomites, the people of Esau were doing, is, is, is they respond like this. yes. Literally, when, when, when the nation of Israel is rebuilding their temple, the Edomites are unraveling. As a country, they are coming undone. In fact, the only reason we know about them is through Israel today. But while all this is going on, they respond like this. They say, yes, we're coming undone. We're unraveling. But here's what we'll do. We will rebuild. We will work hard. We will get back on our feet. We will try. We will muster. We will white-knuckle this thing, and we will make it happen. That is the essence of of what empty religion is, is that you will do it, you will rebuild, we will make it happen, we will try. That's anti-gospel. And some people could go, man, the Israelites, they're, they're, they're trying, or the Edomites, they're really trying. It seems like it's not fair. Do you know what's fair? Is, 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 is this quote by Inspector Javier from Les Mis. 
This is what he says. Those who follow the path of the righteous will be rewarded, while those who falter and fall must pay the price. That's fair. Back to the martial arts thing. Imagine this. You spend eight, ten years of your life working hard trying to earn a black belt. And then some guy walks in off the street, and the instructor walks over to him, brings him out in front of the whole class, and ties a black belt on him. That's big. Like, what would your response be? You've been working hard, you've been trying, you've been giving it all your might, and the instructor just walks over, grabs one, pulls him out of class, brings him out in the center, ties a black belt on him, and says, black belt. You would go, that's not fair. He's not even good. <laughs> he didn't earn that. And, 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 and I would say, yeah, that's exactly the essence of Christianity. You get a gift that you don't earn and that you don't deserve. And, and, and in a sense, the instructor is Jesus Christ who puts something on you, the gift of his righteousness that you haven't earned, that you haven't deserved. He gives it freely. Grace is not fair. And I believe what God is trying to teach them and the foundation that he's given them is ultimately it's not about something you can get. It's not about your circumstances. It's about the fact that I've loved you and my love for you is not fair. You have what other nations and what other people don't have. They have the full measure of my love and my grace. That's not fair. What did you do to earn it? Nothing. And for a Christian who's sitting here today, we have to be reminded because if we're quick to say, that's not fair, what we need to remember is that we center our lives on a message that is completely unfair according to the culture standards. It is not nothing earned. It is not nothing given, everything earned. It is nothing earned, everything given. Grace is unfair. You don't earn it. You don't measure up to it. But you know what it does? It removes pride. It removes boasting. It removes arrogance. Why? Because at the end of the day, you being a child of God is God's choosing, God's doing. What's, what's, what's unfair is God choosing us, loving us, pouring out his grace upon us. What is fair is us being punished for the sins that we've committed against God. What is unfair is a perfectly innocent man being punished for the sins that we committed. Think about that. What's, what's, what's actually truly, truly fair is that we take the punishment for sins we commit. What's truly unfair is that Jesus Christ, the true and perfect, only innocent man, takes all the punishment for all the sins that we've ever committed. And so in Christianity, we would say that the message of grace of God's free giving, of God's free lavishing, of God's election, of God's choosing, is grace. Nothing that we have earned, nothing that we have done. And so the challenge today would be this. God is calling them to look back to Jacob. We also are being called to look back to Jesus Christ. So when, listen please, when we are quick to say, God, how have you loved us? God could easily answer that and say, look at the blood of my own son. That's how I've proven my love. If I was ever going to walk out, to abandon, to forsake you, I would have done it then. 
God, how have you loved us? How have you proven your love for us? He could say, look at the cross where my son suffered greatly for you. You don't have to look any other place to question God's love. But you don't have to look anywhere else to know that he won't abandon you because of his covenant blood that came through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you feel like you are an outcast, an outsider, or irredeemable, let me say this, that God's grace is always, always for the outcast, for the outsider and the undeserving, and it's infinitely big enough to overrule everything in your life. And I would say a proper response to something unfair as grace is this, God, help me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, I'm, I'm loving and chasing after everything else in this world, love, sex, money, power, comfort, and control. Satisfy me in this. And the moments that I say, God, what I'm going through is not fair. And those moments remind me that actually what's not fair is the grace and love that you've given me. When I'm quick to complain, when I'm quick to grumble, when I'm quick to challenge you, God, and tell you about everything that's wrong in my life, remind me of actually what's not fair. Your love for me. And let the foundation of my life be built on your love for me, not my love for you. Let's pray. Father, as we go to the table today to remember, to acknowledge what truly is unfair. Jesus, you shedding your blood, you giving your life, you giving us everything that you have, perfection and righteousness, and taking upon our unrighteousness. That's unfair. Oh, let us celebrate today, Father, your grace. Why you would choose such rebels, such outcasts, why you would choose such flawed people to love and cherish. Father, we don't know, but let us celebrate it today. In Jesus' name, amen.